0: which is translated God with us, which is translated God with us. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5, this is going to be our um, takeoff point today, Romans chapter 5. And If you want to put a tab in that, we're actually going to finish also with Romans chapter 5, but we're going to start with this, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. We're going to key in on this. Who is a type of him who was to come? So I want to to set the stage by talking about the beginning of this verse. He says, "Um, just as through the one man sin entered the world. So I want to talk about the one man. I want to start in the beginning. And we're going to start with the separation problem in the Old Testament. So in Genesis chapter 2, God creates man. And God creates man to have dominion over the world. And he gives this man... Very specific rules, and it's actually one rule. Don't eat from this tree over here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. (laughs) Only bad will come from it. Surely you will die. And we know how uh, the serpent, uh, our mind, likes to play with us. We're told not to do something, so we want to do it even more. And we know how it is when temptation comes in onto the scene and makes us want to do it even more than we already did because we're rebellious sometimes um, at our core. And so Adam and Eve end up eating of, of the one tree God told them not to, of the one tree. And so God comes after man, looking for man. And it says that they heard God uh, walking in the cool of the day, which tells me that Adam and Eve used to commune with God daily and walk with him through his beautiful garden. So there was no separation. So there was no separation. And so God came to be with his children as he did, I would assume, every single day. Every single day he came to be with his children. And they're hiding from him as we all do when we're living in shame and guilt. And they hide from him, and he calls out, and he says, you know, why are you hiding? And Adam says, well, I'm naked. I ain't got no clothes, Father, so I hid from you. And the father says, who told you you were naked? And so they admit to the fault of what they had done. Um, and, and one thing we'll realize is that God's reasoning for putting them out of the garden is not just because they disobeyed him, but look at what God says. God says this in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 uh, through 23, he says this, he says, Now surely if they eat of the tree of eternal life, they shall be like us forever. They shall not die. And so we, we, need, we need to think about this because right after God says that, God puts them out of the garden. So why is, why is this important, okay? Because if God would have left them in the garden in their current state and they would have eaten from the tree of eternal life, they would have been sinful for eternity, There was no remedy for sin. If Adam in his state of sin would have eaten of the other tree to live forever, humanity would have been sinful forever. So in God's grace and mercy, God does not drive Adam out because Adam sinned. God drives Adam out because that was the only way to save Adam. And this is why in the rest of Genesis 3, Adam is not mad at God. And Eve cries out to the Lord, the Lord has helped me give birth to a son, Cain. They're still giving sacrifices to God. They're still talking to God. Why? Because God was not mad at Adam. God created Adam. God knew what was in Adam. God knew what Adam was capable of. This is why Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, but before, the, before Adam was born. Before, sorry, not born, created out of the dust and breath breathed into his lungs. Adam was created. But even before that, Jesus was already the plan. So God did not look upon Adam with disgust or anger. God knew the only way to save Adam, the only way to save humanity, was to now put them outside of the garden because he had a plan of rescue. And so this, this is the stage where we're set and we walk through Genesis And there comes a generation that does not know the Lord. There comes generations that kind of know of Yahweh. They know of the God that Adam served. They know of the God that created, but there's a separation there. Number one, there's a forgotten union there. Humanity starts to forget that at one time we walked in union with with the God of the universe. At one point in time at our creation, we don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden. It could have been a really long time. It could have been a really short time. We don't know. But at one point in time, humanity walked in perfect union with our God. We lived with him. We hung out with him. We had talks and walks during the cool of the day with him. But there comes a generation that does not know him. There's a forgotten union. They don't remember that at one point this God was with us and we were with this God. But then there comes a point of chosen separation, and so we see throughout time, throughout the people of Israel, that they're choosing other gods besides Yahweh because they've forgotten that Yahweh is their God. And so they choose the gods of the place that they live in. They choose the culture of the place that they live. And so there's this constant separation. And so then God gives them the law through Moses to somehow show them how to, a way to get back to Yahweh and that the plan was Jesus would come to save his people. Jesus was always the plan. The law was a foreshadowing of the good things to come. And so the people are stuck following types and shadows of good things to come. Scripture in Hebrews tells us that the law was a foreshadowing of the greater things to come. And so they're constantly, like we talked about, dealing with sin, dealing with these things, sacrifice after sacrifice, sacrifice after sacrifice over time. And they have forgotten God or they have chosen to separate themselves from the covenants of God. And then here comes David. King David comes on the scene. King David comes on the scene. Psalms chapter 51, verses 16 through 17. Psalms chapter 51, verses 16 through 17. David says this, David has just had an affair with Bathsheba. He's repentant of his sin. He's hurting, he's broken, he knows what he's done. And he says, Lord, only before you, only against you have I sinned. And he says this, he says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And so David has a revelation. It was never about the burnt offerings. It was never about the religious rituals. It was always about relationship. God did not just want you to kill an animal because you didn't want to die. God did not just want you to kill an animal because you thought God was going to smite you dead if you didn't. It was never about fearing him. It was never about following religious rituals just to try to get near to him. But it was always about relationship. And so David, who was a man after God's own heart, starts to get a revelation of God's heart. And so instead of when he, when he sleeps with Bathsheba, instead of going to the temple and putting forth offering after offering after offering, he's broken in his spirit. This is what we call repentance. And it's a foreshadowing of the lamb to come who would no longer have to be sacrificed after sacrifice after sacrifice there would be one. And after that one, there's no more sacrifice. So David had a revelation as he does time after time in the Psalms of the one to come, the final sacrifice to the point now it's not about burnt offerings, but it's about relationship. So now I don't repent or beg God for forgiveness because I'm afraid of him, but because now I know there can be union with him through Jesus. And so David is a foreshadowing of the one to come. And so there's a There's a chosen or a forgotten union and a chosen separation in the Old Testament. They don't know how to get back to where they were. They don't even know if they can. Romans 5, 14b says this. The first Adam who was a type of him who was to come. Let's jump back to Matthew chapter 1 and let's look at verse 23. Let's get into verse 23. We set the stage There's Old Testament separation, a forgotten union, a chosen or felt separation from God. So let's get back into verse 23. Verse 23 says this, talking about Mary bearing a son, and it says, and she shall bear a son. I just want want to deal with this right here, and she will bear a son. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. Let's talk about the second Adam. Let's talk about the second Adam. We dealt with the first Adam. The one in the garden, the one that messed up, the one that had to be put out to be rescued. Not put out because God hated him. Not put out because God was angry or mad. Of course God was disappointed. He didn't want to lose his son. He didn't want to lose union with his son. But there was a plan. And so he puts him out of the garden. That's the first Adam. That's where the separation, that's where the felt separation comes in. But then the second Adam comes on the scene. And as we just read in Philippians chapter 2, this this Adam, Jesus, Jesus, was fully man. I want to deal with this first, that he was a fully man, fully man. So God becomes man because man cannot become God. God becomes man because man could not get back to God. So there's this chasm, and I promise you God sees it. There's this chasm, and throughout our scriptures, we see time and time again in the Old Testament that God is trying to reach his hand down to his children to show them his heart. And time and time again they miss it. And time and time again they run. And time and time again they refuse to be with him. When Moses goes to Mount Sinai, he asks the people, won't you come with me? Won't you come with me on the mountain? Won't you come see your God? And they say, no, Moses, you go. No, Moses, you go. And Moses is pleading with the people, come with me. Come with me to see Yahweh. Come with me to be with him. Look up the story in Exodus. Come with me. And they say, no, Moses, you go. And time and time again, God reaches down to a man. He, and I, Before he got to Abraham, I guarantee he reached down to other men. Before he got to Moses, I guarantee he reached down to other men. And God was constantly reaching down to try to find one man who would hear his voice, one man who would listen, one man who would come to him, one man. And it takes Moses seeing a burning bush that would not burn to come to him. So God is constantly going out of his way to reach down to man. Constantly seeing the forgotten union, constantly feeling the separation. Because not only did humanity feel separated, God felt separated. And I need you to hear that he felt separated. While man left, God never left. God has always been in the working of human history. And so God sees this union, and here comes Jesus, born of a woman, fully man, fully woman. First Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says this. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 says this, For where there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In the Old Testament, there was a chasm between God and man. I need you to hear it. There was a chasm between God and man. Because of what had happened in the garden, there had to be a chasm for a point in time. An eon of time, what does that mean? A space of time there had to be because there was a plan in the working here. There was a plan, so the the chasm had to be wide because a fully human, only human person was gonna mess it up again. I need you to hear this. We would mess it up again. If God created Eden again, all over again and put another human there, we, me and you, fully flesh, would mess it up again. If God would have hit the restart button and put a new human there, we would have messed up again. I need you to hear this. So God did not hit the reset button, all right, let me create a new garden with a new human being, because if he would have created a new human being, he would have been in the same situation he was before, because some situations only God can handle. And so God sees the chasm between us, and in himself he takes it upon himself to come. And here's Jesus, fully, man, Jesus bridges the gap because he came to restore. The second Adam came to restore what the first Adam had broken. And the thing about us as humans is this. We as humans connect, I mean, at our very innermost being, we as humans connect with vulnerability. I need you to hear this because we're a vulnerable, weak species. We connect with vulnerability. We honor and worship infallibility. We worship and honor God because he is infallible. He is never wrong. He is always true. He's the creator of the universe. He is almighty, all-knowing, all-truthful, all-good. But we don't connect with infallibility. I need you to hear this. We do not intimately connect with infallibility because we cannot know what it's like to be infallible. But we worship it because we see it is beautiful, it is good. Do you hear what I'm saying? But we connect with vulnerability. So here comes Jesus. God knew forever humans would never get his heart right because we, we, were, we were apart from him. We were different than him. His ways are higher than our ways. His knowledge is greater. The psalm says, who can search the knowledge of God? And so the father knew, well, they may worship me. They can never intimately connect with me. There will always be some type of distance here. There will always be a chasm because we see it in the Old Testament. The Israelites worshiped God, but there was still separation. They still did not understand the heart of God. So the father knew in himself, I am infallible. They will never fully connect with my heart if I do not become man. Because we as humans connect with vulnerability. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 says this, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You can trust Jesus because he is one of us. You can connect with Jesus. You may not be able to intimately connect right now because there's a chasm between you and God. You cannot understand the mind of God, but you can understand the mind of Jesus. I need you to hear this. You cannot understand what it's like to create a universe, but you can understand what it's like to be tempted. You cannot understand what it's like to create out of nothing, but you can understand what it's like to be angry. So God knew there was a chasm. He knew we could never fully relate, relate to him as he is because there's a chasm. Only Adam was the only person beside the first Adam besides the second Adam to be a human who knew what it was like to see God without sinful eyes. So God knew now after Adam, no human will be able to see me as I am because they will reflect their own life onto me. We connect with vulnerability. This is why Jesus comes. Jesus comes in the form of a man to bridge the gap between God and man, to show how now man can walk in union with God again. Jesus came to show, to reveal the forgotten union. So here comes Jesus in the form of a man to walk as you and I walked. Hebrews 4:14 4, uh, 14 through 16 says that he faced every temptation without sin, so now he can help those who are being tempted. He knows us. He intimately knows us. Jesus knows what it's like to be frustrated. Jesus knows what it's like to be disappointed. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He walked through this human experience so you could connect with the Father. He, he, he dwelt in a human body. We're about to read that. The, the Godhead dwelled in the body of Jesus Christ. So now you could connect with the Godhead so that the chasm could be bridged. Jesus is the ultimate bridge builder. He came to bridge the gap. He came to be our mediator. He says he's the mediator between God and man. What does that mean? He builds the bridge from man to God. So here comes Jesus as a man. Because we, in the Old Testament, they knew of Yahweh, but they could not connect to Yahweh. In the Old Testament, they thought because Yahweh was holy, he could never understand humanity And God says, yes, I am holy, but you shall be holy as I am holy. So he comes down in the form of man to show, I am not too separate from you, but I will come to you because you cannot come to me. This is Jesus. Let's look at the latter part of verse 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. Colossians 1. 15 through 16 says this. Colossians 1:15 through 16 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. This second Adam is not only fully man, but he's fully God. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 also says this. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. In the body of Christ, it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father. Why? Because his heart was always for humanity. So it pleased his heart to become like humanity. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. Now that sounds like a God that loves his creation, does it not? He doesn't just leave the problem sitting there, but he himself comes to fix the problem. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians nine. for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And here comes Jesus, fully man, fully God, to reveal the heart of God to humanity. John tells us this in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has revealed him. What does this mean? When you see Jesus you see God. How much more can you connect to God than when you see Jesus, you see him, you know him. What does that tell me? God would never do anything Jesus would not do, and Jesus would never do anything God would not do. So when Jesus is walking around having mercy on prostitutes, on thugs, on the the mafia, the tax collectors, when God is going around in the form of Jesus having mercy on everyone that he sees, you see the heart of the Father for humanity. And so this chasm that's braced between God and humanity where we believe God, God looks down on us because he cannot relate to us. God says, no, I see you. I see you in your mess. I see you in your brokenness. I am not too far removed from you to see you, to love you, to have mercy and grace upon you. So here comes Jesus. And so now Jesus, fully man in the flesh, fully God in his inward spirit, walking amongst humanity, now when people see him, they don't even know it's Yahweh in the flesh. Those people who thought that he was distant, he now walks among them. It says he became like his brethren in every aspect. So now here comes Jesus, fully God, fully man. He is for us. John 14, 8 through 9. This is my favorite passage in the year 2022. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who sees me has seen the Father. It's my favorite passage of 2022 because for so long it was hard for me to reconcile to the Father. Has anyone ever had a hard time connecting to God? Anybody besides myself. God feels distant. I'm like, my gosh, I cannot relate to this God whatsoever. This has been me even in ministry. I cannot relate to this guy. I call him Father, but I do not know him. I cannot connect to him. And this passage in January of 2022, I read this passage and I fell on my knees crying because I can relate to Jesus. I can relate to Jesus. Jesus was hurting like I was hurting. Jesus faced heartbreak like I, Jesus' friend died, I've had friends who die. Jesus had friends who betrayed him, I've had friends who betrayed me. Jesus has had physical pain. I've had physical pain. And this passage has changed my entire life in the year 2022 moving forward because I could not connect to that God for a long time. I could connect to Jesus. But when I read this passage, I don't know what it was the one time I read it, now when I see Jesus, I know I see the Father. Now when I see Jesus loving people, I know the Father loves me. Now when I see Jesus going to the broken and the outcast, I know the Father comes to me. So this passage has changed the entire way I read Scripture because now when it doesn't look like Jesus, I say that can't be true then. Now when I read the Old Testament, I'm like, whoa, hold up. Jesus wouldn't do this. I know the Father wouldn't do this. It's changing. Mm -hmm, Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus. He is for us. God sees the forgotten union. He himself feels the chosen separation. He feels that because now at this point, they're choosing to be separate. They're choosing to be. His own children are now choosing to be separate from him. He feels that. I cannot imagine if my children grow up and choose not to call me dad. I need you to understand this because now that I've become become a dad, the father is completely radically different to me. You don't know. I'm telling you, you don't know until you become a parent what that relationship is like. They told me this was true. I just didn't know until it happened. Because now the fact of the matter is if my little boy is hurting, I'm hurting. If my little boy is crying, it breaks my heart. If he's sick, it breaks my heart. Seeing him hurting, seeing him sick, seeing him in places maybe he's Falling off something. Maybe he falls down, he's crying, hurt his knee. It breaks my heart. And now knowing that the father sees us that way. And if I love my son, I would do anything for my son. I would die for my son. No wonder he died for his children. I would die for my son. No wonder he died for his. And so the fact of the matter is we now have to understand if we are parents, those of us who are parents, you can understand the heart of the father as those who don't. Because the fact of the matter is God felt the separation and he would have done anything to restore it. I need you to hear this. He would have done anything and he did. He sent Jesus. So he does not just leave it broken, but he himself goes to repair it. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 says this, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, that God was in Christ. Who was in Christ? God, the Father, was in Christ, reconciling his children back unto himself, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So what happens? God sees the forgotten union. He looks on his children and says, they have no idea that at one time they walked with me in the cool of the day. They have no idea that one time we had intimate conversations with one another. They don't know this, and it breaks his heart. But more than that, they know of him, but they choose not him. And he's broken over this, so what does he do? He doesn't leave it. He doesn't give up on us. He does not delete humanity. But he comes after us. He pursues us. He sends Jesus, fully man in the flesh, fully God in his spirit, after his children to connect in our innermost beings of who he is. And so this is the beauty of it. Now that God came in the form of man, now that man or God are intertwined like this because the incarnate Jesus Christ, we now have union. I need you to understand this. Because of the death on the cross, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his blood, his cross bridged the gap between God and man. I I need you to hear this. Because of the chasm, because of what happened, scripture tells us now that now in Christ Jesus you have been made perfect. Well, I don't feel, you're not, you don't feel perfect. You probably don't act perfect, but in the eyes of the Father, it's already been restored. The whole, listen, reconciliation means this, that when something was broken, there was something broken. There was something, a relationship, whatever it is, was broken. To be reconciled means to be fully mended back together. You did not reconcile yourself to God. Humanity did not reconcile themselves back to God. God came to man to reconcile man back unto himself. So if the bridge has been built by God, imagine it can never be broken. So our bridge was union. It was being with God. It was walking with God. It was living with God. It was God living with us, and the bridge had been broken. And we tried to fix it with religion, and it did not work. We tried to fix it with the blood of bulls and goats. We tr- Modern, we try to fix it with reading our Bible enough. We try to fix it with praying enough. We try to fix it with going to church enough. And we try to mend a bridge that only Jesus could repair. And here comes Jesus on the scene to do what you could not do without you doing anything. It's a free gift. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Nothing you could do. No good works that we may boast in ourselves. So God comes what you could never do. And he builds the bridge of union. Ephesians 2.13, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now, let me tell you this, in the English vocabulary, we don't have a word good enough to match the, the Greek word inglalia, okay? Inglalia means this in, in the Greek, you are now One. We don't have a word to to structure it out properly in our verse. But what is this saying? Those of you who were once far away from God, now by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are one with God. I need you to hear this again. What humanity could never do, what we tried to do for thousands of years, 2,000 years ago upon a cross and three days later when he rose, the bridge had been been put back together. It had been fully reconstructed to a point now it can never be broken. Because the blood of Jesus, you are now one with the Father. There is no more separation. This is why Matthew 1.23 is so important, that they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Because there is no more separation in the new covenant. Because of what Jesus has done, because he bridged the gap, because of what the Father has done, there's no more separation. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. How much closer can you be to one than one spirit with someone? How much closer, how much, in, how much intertwined can you be than being one spirit with someone? And now this is why Jesus said, it's better that I go to send the Holy Spirit to you. Because now we share the same spirit. There is no more separation. Turn with me. We're ending here. Romans 5. told you we were ending back in Romans 5. Romans 5, 18 through 21. Romans 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as through one man, the first Adam, The one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness. The second Adam, act the free gift has come to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, the first Adam, many were made sinners. So also by one man's, (laughs) the second Adam, obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. So that as in sin (laughs) reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me tell you some good news real quick. You are not in the family of the first Adam any longer. I'm gonna say this again, you are no longer in the family of the first Adam. He is no longer your ancestor, it's Jesus. You are Jesus' brother, you are not Adam's brother any longer. Because of what Jesus has done, Bridged the gap, restored all things. You are now in the family of the second Adam. You can't read the first part of that passage and say, oh, that's me. No longer. You are now the righteousness of God. Saints, I need you to hear me. Because of what Jesus has done, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is no more separation. You are no longer in the family of the first Adam where there was separation. You are now in the family of the second Adam where there is union. He is with us. We are with him. And all things have been made right in, through, and by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you please stand with me as we prepare to partake of communion? Take a minute just to pray to your Father. Prepare your hearts to receive communion. Jesus, as we close up this series, we just thank you. We thank you that you came. If nothing else, we're just thankful that you came. That that you walked in pure humility, fully God, but clothing yourself in the form of a man. In the weakness of man so that we can relate to you in all things and that you could be our mighty high priest, knowing us intimately, knowing our struggles, knowing our pains, knowing the trauma we experience on this earth so that you can have mercy and grace on us in our time of need. And Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are salvation. You are the embodiment. You are salvation come to the earth. We thank you that you are our deliverer from sin. You've saved your people from their sins. You are a healer of the disease and our deliverer of the ruthless master we thank you, Jesus, <laughs> that your name is Emmanuel, God with us, that you are now here with us, that there is no more separation, but only union. We thank you, Father, for always having this as your plan, that the rescue mission was always the plan, that you loved us, that you had a plan, that you did not just leave us in our sinful state where mortality was the fate of all men, but that you had a plan. And even though we couldn't understand that plan in the beginning, we see it now. We see why things had to happen the way they happen. We see it in our own lives. We see it through history that you're working. That you love us and you care for us. And we thank you, Father. You are not required to partake of communion with us today, but if you would like to, we're going to start with this section over here on my right. We're going to start with this section right here. You can come grab your communion elements. You don't have to participate, but if you would like, please feel free. All right, middle section, you may come and receive your communion elements. All right, section on my left. Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus, in this moment... We are in remembrance of you, which once again means this. We're not just looking back to a past event, but we're living in a past event. right now in this moment, I pray in everyone's minds that we see you upon that cross, giving your last. And I pray that we hear you say, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. And that in that moment, the work of the cross was done and humanity saved. Three days later, you rose again with your body fully intact. But we honor what you've done. We thank you for your body. We thank you for the death on the cross because by your blood we have been brought near to the Father. There's no more separation because of your body. And Father, we believe that as we partake of your son's body that he has given for us so freely that we will experience healing in our own bodies, healing in our church family, because Jesus is healing, and in his body wholeness dwells. So right now you may take, break, and eat. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. That now in the new covenant, there is no separation, only union. We thank you that by your blood, we have better promises. (laughs) We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us through every step of this life. We thank you that your blood is the portal into the new covenant, that we may be a new covenant people of no separation and full forgiveness walking in wholeness and freedom of life, walking in sozo salvation, healing, deliverance, wholeness, and freedom. We thank you for your blood shed upon the cross. Take and drink. Jesus, we honor you. We honor your name. We honor your good news that you brought to save us, to rescue us, to set us free because you love us and we love you. And I just pray That as Christmas rolls around, that that we take the approach of the shepherds and we're in awe and wonder of the baby who was born. Thinking that this baby would one day become our Messiah. One day become our Savior. And that Christmas morning while we're opening presents with family, that Jesus would be in our minds. Knowing that none of this is possible without him. That the presents are great, everything's good, family time is amazing. But the whole day is about him. Living in remembrance of his birth his life his death and his resurrection. Jesus we thank you for this season. I just pray we would have an attitude of gratitude, not letting the stress of Christmas make us have a bad time or a hard time, but that we would have an attitude of gratitude towards our families and towards you, being thankful in all things because they all come from our good father above who pours out good gifts upon his children. Father, I pray you protect us as we travel with our Christmas plans. I pray that that you empower families to reconcile with one another what has been broken. That they would have a true time of peace in their homes and unity in their families. And that they would just be living in a constant state of remembrance, living in your life. In the name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. We love y'all. Thank you for being here today. And there is food across the street, so please receive.